All right. Hey, everybody. Very special show today. We're lucky enough to have Greg from Concept2 on the show. So, Greg, appreciate you uh, joining us. Oh, I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited to do it. Let me tell you that in in keeping with the tradition of this show, I was supposed to do a foot sprint day. This is a true story. But time got <laughs> crunched. And just before we went on, about 30 minutes ago, I went into my garage and I did five by 500 meter rows on the old concept too. Oh, wow. Uh, just just to get in the right mindset for the show. And then <laughs> well, I walked in, you know what? And my wife was like, what did you just do? And I told her and she went, oh, that's disgusting because anyone <laughs> who's done that knows it's disgusting. At the risk of one-upping you, Pat, you know, I don't know if you're aware, but uh, I'm involved in a challenge every year for from a mutual friend of ours uh brian shantosh yes oh no and last yeah. month yeah la- exactly oh no <laughs> last month's challenge included uh max meters road for the month and the minimum was you had to have eighty three thousand logged by the end of the month or you got the boot um and so i spent a lot of time last month uh rowing 2ks and 5ks and did every you day standard? A bunch. i did i got eighty five thousand meters by the end of the month so <laughs> And I think Brian is doing a a fundraiser, I think this weekend to raise money for his foundation where I think he's going for a million, a million meters, which is shout out. Yeah. Crazy foundation. He's like rowing around the world three or four times or some, you know, in keeping with his adventures that are just astronomical level and pace. Yep. So before we get too far off track, which we started to a little bit, (laughs) (laughs) we want to chat about, you know, a lot of things concept too, but before we get there, Greg, give us a little background about yourself um, and how you get into the whole space and obviously aligned with concept two. Uh, so I've been with concept two, uh, let's see, about 26 years now. Um, wow. But I came about, I graduated from a small college here in Vermont with a health science degree uh, with a kind of focus on corporate wellness Moved to Maine, uh, did some corporate wellness for international paper, uh, where my the goal was to get people fit so that they don't get hurt on the job and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but I had a very small budget when I got there, and whatever I didn't use could go to my salary. So I said, okay, how can I get someone really fit with low budget? And I'm from Vermont, so I knew concept too. And I'm like, you know, at the time, I think the rotor was $870. And I, that and body weight, I knew I could make anybody fit. So I mm-hmm. bought a couple of those and um, and basically had at it. Come to find out, working on the paper mill is not all it's cracked up to be. Um, <laughs> and I had some friends that started working at um, Concept2. And every time I called and it was snowing, no one would answer because they were skiing. Or in the summertime, they're out playing basketball. And I'm like, I got to go back and work for this company. Right. And it sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, it sounds amazing. Like you could literally couldn't call if you wanted to buy a machine because they were out doing something, trail running or having fun. And I'm like, all right, I'm going back to Vermont. Um, sold my business in Maine, went back and have been at uh, Concept2 ever since. So Awesome. Man, 26 wow. years. That's legit. And I also have this image in my mind of somebody being locked in a room and all they have to get fit is like the floor the wall and a concept two rower and they would just be a an animal if i checked back in on them in 90 days i mean wasn't yeah, that miko absolutely. miko salo used to lock himself in his closet with like two antique chairs and a rowing machine he <laughs> would just go at it in the dark yeah it's uh yeah it no, works. it's one of i'd say one of my favorite things too is introducing people to the rower that don't have any background in it and don't understand it at all because the inevitable question is, what's this? And you're like, 
let me show you, Let, let's try it. And then it's like, they get it right away after the first effort. It's like, oh, I see how this can transfer to so many different things and be such a benefit to, uh, you know, not only people that are interested in rowing as a sport, but the generalists as well. So it's a, it's a cool, yeah. It's a little ironic. Yeah. When that, so, I mean, obviously on water rowers, because the founders are former Olympic rowers and stuff, they knew the intensity that you could derive from a rowing machine. But back pre-CrossFit, um, it would be in all the gyms and gyms would be buying one or two rowing machines and they didn't even know why. They're just like, every gym has them. We need to have them. Mm-hmm. And it was always like the little lady or elderly person just using it for warm up, And that was it. And it wasn't until we started making people throw up on the rower that they loved it. It was great. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I remember my pre-CrossFit days back when I'd go to Gold's Gym and do the classic bodybuilding splits in high school. <laughs> I remember walking by the rower every single day, you know, to go do something else. I had no idea what it was for, <laughs> how to use it. Like it was only, again, yes, in my recent, you know, last 16 years or so of my fitness journey that I was like, oh, that's what that thing is for. Yeah. And that's how we had the old the Model B in college and I played rugby and the coach would give you a choice. You know, if you didn't want to run hills, you could go over the pool and use the rowing machine because he was from Scotland and he knew the rower before from on water rowing. And I'm like, oh, that sounds way easier than running a hill. And then I go in there, I'm just like, well, this sucks. I'm going back to the hill. So I ended up doing that. You mentioned something as if it was common knowledge, but I bet it won't be to a lot of our listeners or viewers, viewers, which first of all might be shocked that you said you worked for the company for 26 years because a lot of them, a lot of their knowledge might only exist in their CrossFit knowledge and not predate that. So you've been with the company 26 years. You said the founders were on water rowers. How long has Concept2 been about? And, and is that how it originated? Hey, I need some dry land training because I'm a I'm a water rower. Yeah, so um, we're your typical New England company. We're a very practical people. Um, the owners uh, left, so... There's two brothers, Peter and Dick, Gacker is their name, and they own uh, the business. And uh, how it came about is they're on-water rowers. They had this idea after college to make a non-wooden carbon fiber racing oar for, for rowing, uh, which ended up being kind of revolutionary with their blade design and stuff. And that was in 1976. Um once that they decided when they moved back to New England to do start the business, they're like, well, it's winter time. We need a way to train and our, and their buddies all needed a way to train. So they literally took a huffy bicycle, flipped upside down, screwed it to the floor of a barn and got one of those old piston rowers with the sliding seat and put it up to that. And we've got pictures, all of it on our website, the original pictures of them messing with it. Um, oh, and they amazing. said, wow, this could work. It was called the, and then that turned into what we call the model a, so a for alpha. And it literally was a bicycle wheel with plastic cards in the spokes. And that's what caused the resistance similar to the fan that's inside there now. Um, and oddly enough, we actually had a skier not long after that, that got shelved for a number of years until oh, the wow. owner's owner's kids, uh, started racing for the, uh, Olympic, uh, Nordic, uh, biathlon team. And, uh, then they needed something to train themselves for, off-season skiing and stuff like that nordic skiing interesting wow, wow. I, I, had no, really cool. I had no idea the history quite frankly yeah. no i didn't either and so this idea of the flywheel and the resistance on the flywheel was there from the beginning with those cards that were used for resistance is that is that what i'm hearing yeah so um there was like so back in the day you probably remember ask your parents or your grandparents there used to be piston rowers like i think it was like joe weeder 
piston rowers that literally yeah. was like a, like the pneumatic pistons that are on the hatch back of your car sure. uh, and people would slide back and forth and they would use that and it was a good workout it worked really well but it wasn't anywhere's like rowing on the water um the there was no glide factor like on the water um the arc of the handles because they were fixed was not like being on the water and things like that and uh so essentially they saw a need they saw you know a way to build a better mousetrap um the, all their friends were rowers so they had plenty of test subjects um and stuff like that and so that's what came about and then luckily these guys are such good engineers that model a turned into the model b which are still in use today then the model c which is kind of like what most affiliates started with back in 2000, you know, six, seven, that's usually what they got their hands on first. And then the D which was the old baby blue ones. And now the black ones that we all know from, from competition. Now um, we also had an E that, which is a taller version of the D that we use for people who might have trouble getting on off the machines. But yeah, then the skier came about and the biker and yeah. And I think for right now, anyways, you might be just working on making those better each, each time. So. I've got the baby blue Very one cool. in my garage. And then, and then one of I the got the black ones. ones I got the black right one. Here. A baby blue <laughs> yeah. and, and a black one. And I don't do... I'm a good testament for the durability of the machine because I tell you, I don't do anything to it. It just when I, when I walk out one day and the screen's dead, I go, I guess it's time to change the battery. Other than <laughs> that, I don't do... Maybe I like blow it off with my leaf blower every now and then. And it yeah. works every single solitary time. So let, let me just say, and this is for anyone listening, I have no affiliation with Concept2. <laughs> There's no money exchanged here. There's nothing going on. Like this is just true, honest testament. Yeah. I genuinely appreciate in in today's world, where it seems like so, so many things are built with some sort of obsolescence coming in mind, like something mm -hmm. which is just, you buy it once and I could give it to my grandkids, like it's darn near bomb proof. I truly appreciate that. You guys have uh, you guys yeah. have made something that really does stand the test of time and holds up to a ton of abuse, by the way. And that's the testament to the founders. They 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 absolutely hate uh, engineered obsolescence, which we all know today from different products and stuff. And um, you know, not to sound like it's a sales pitch or anything like that, but one we call it an indoor rower. But I'd say these days there's as many people using the indoor rower outdoors as indoors. And, you know, <laughs> we sell so much to the military. I actually have this folder where, I mean, I've got pictures of them on the tops of mountains in Afghanistan. I've got them in Iraq. Oh, I've got them on submarines, on aircraft carriers. And um, mainly because they don't, like I said, people, go, they travel. A lot of military guys travel like from each place they move. They just take it with them and it holds up, makes us feel good. Yeah, yep. Pat, I'm going to one-up you one more time, man. I'll no, please do. <laughs> my maintenance routine on my uh, my rower is I would say once every eight or nine months, I will Windex the uh, slide rail that the seat sits on and clean out some of the gunk there, and then that's nice. about it. So, yeah. When I'm at my affiliate and before we do a rowing workout, I clean my monorail, and I get called out for cheating because I'm cleaning my monorail because I'm getting the black crap off of it. I'm just like, you guys can do this too, if you want, it's not cheating. So. Yeah. That's, that's what I, that's what I was referencing there. I'll take, I'll take a little Windex. I'll wipe that yeah. down. And that's probably like, if I'm lucky, it's once a year. So and we do, we do, we tell people, you know, some, we realize people can't always afford new machines. Um, even if they found an old model a or B at a garage sale for like a couple hundred bucks, you know, all yeah. of our parts to basically make it, as good as a new one we have on there. So you could put even PM fives modern monitors on a model a with some conversion and stuff and still use grandpa's old rower if he needed to. So, wow, that's cool.
I, I got a funny story. I'm going to throw my, this is a terrible thing to do, but I'm going to throw my, <laughs> my own mother under the bus, uh, but that's okay because I don't think she knows this podcast exists. <laughs> so I'm out on the West coast, you know, I'm from new England. So she, you know, my family still lives back in Massachusetts and she is just a creature of habit. And for, this is not an exaggeration for about 20 years, her, well, she comes up to me, you know, like, even if you know a lot about health and fitness, your parents still see you as their kids. And so they don't listen to you. And so finally, True my story. Mother, yeah, my mother yeah. was like, you know, I think what I do for working out is getting a bit stale. And I was like, oh, well, geez, I'm so happy we're having this conversation. I'm like, you know, what's what's it look like? You know, I never wanted to pry and it was kind of closed off. And she's like, well, every night you know, I turn on the television and I pedal the stationary bike for an hour. I was like, oh, wow. I'm like, I'm like, do you ever like vary the pace or the, the distance or times? You know, it's an hour every night. Ever vary the pace? She's like, no. I'm like, how long have you been doing that? She said, 20 years. I said, well, <laughs> it might be time for a change. Uh, so she wasn't interested in anything that I offered her. So I said, well, geez, if you just did that, but you were on a rower, you know, at least you're moving your whole body multiple. I'm like, I'm like, I, there's a bunch of stuff I'd rather have you do, but you're not going to do it. Let me get you a rower and then you can do that. And she's like, okay, fine. So for Christmas, this is probably 10 years ago. I got her a rower, go home, set it up. She's very kind. I teach her how to use it the whole nine yards. And I give her some different little you know, things you can try just to vary a couple little things. Like let's not get crazy. She's super sweet. Says, thank you. I check back in with her every now and then she says, it's going great. The next year I go home for Christmas. And I'm like, how's it going? She's like, oh, it's going fantastic. I'm like, great. I go, I check on the rower to see how much she's rowed. Since I since I left her, she's rowed 900 meters. So basically, <laughs> she she never used the darn thing. It's totally brand new. So <laughs> I just funny, that. I do that to my to parents. It, it's so funny. People don't realize you can check. And so my parents, same thing. Oh, your father's been using the rower down in the basement like five times a week. I go down and I'm like, huh, it doesn't seem like it's working then. It's not showing up in the memory. <laughs> So, so I didn't uh, let the cat out of the bag. I just said, I'm so happy that you're enjoying it. And that was, uh, and then I, I have a rower to use when I go home. So it's, a, it's, nice. a, it's okay. But, but anyway, um, we've got a, a, a fair amount of questions potentially pick your brain about, but before we get there, um, are there any more stones that we should unturn overturn Boz before we get into some just kind of a Q and a, no, stuff? I guess, I guess I'm just kind of curious as to the, um, symbiosis between CrossFit oh, and yes. Concept2, you know, like it's one of yes. those things where I, I think my understanding of how it kind of came to pass is maybe not in, in line with reality, but I remember reading the early journal articles way back in the early 2000s and, uh, you know, the original Garage Gym article where Greg Glassman wrote this awesome article that basically said, hey, look, if you want to get really, really fit, you do not need a facility that somebody else owns and you do not have to wait for them to cater to you. And in fact, it's probably going to be better and more efficient if you just get a couple of pieces of equipment and a few square feet and you go on your own. That was before affiliates. And so you couldn't really go to a purpose-built facility. Now people have that option. It's awesome. But back then it was kind of not really the case. Anyway, long story short, at the end of that article, um, there were these like preferred equipment things or like equipment recommendations. And it was like, Hey, here's how you can get instruction on the Olympic lifts. And back then it was like, there was no other way to do it. You had to 
order these CD, uh, you know, <laughs> DVDs to be able to learn the Olympic lifts. They didn't exist anywhere else. It's kind of the Stone Age. And I remember that, you know, Concept 2 was one of the things that was listed there as like an essential piece of equipment. And I thought that that was just kind of how it happened. It was one of these things that Greg thought had a lot of utility in training. And he listed it publicly on, on these early journal articles. And then traction kind of built from there and, and off you went. But I don't know if that's actually true. That's just kind of my perception. Yeah, it's pretty accurate. Um, you know, having talked to Greg, I, I believe the way the story goes is that when he left Gold's gym, to move to his place in Santa Cruz, um, I think he might have grabbed one of the old Model Bs from Gold's Gym, or somehow he started with a Model B, and he was using it and enjoyed it, and he saw that it was going to basically achieve the stimulus he was looking for with his athletes. And then I don't know how many years went through my coworker Tracy, which you guys know Tracy. She's she yeah. was at a trade show for like we used to have to go to these crazy trade shows. It was like Zumba and step aerobic type shows. And for oddly enough, I wasn't there at the show as Greg came by and said to Tracy, you know, Tracy didn't know who he was. And he's like, hi, my name is Greg. He goes, I love your equipment, something like, and Tracy asked him, like, do you own a gym? And he said something to the fact like, um, well, I think you're going to hear big things soon. Something like that. And, you know, we, Tracy blew it off, like whatever. And he ended up staying in touch. He called a couple of times, bought some more pieces of equipment, I believe for the original Santa Cruz affiliate there and then they needed somebody who was prior service to uh go teach rowing for a level one at uh in san diego um for buds and i think that's when dave might have still been an instructor there i believe or something like that so um i was in the guard for a number of years so i guess that qualified me and i was like yeah i'd love to go out and see see what goes on i was in triathlons at the time thought i was you know, super fit, you know, former rugby player, triathlete, and basically went there to this level one and got my ass handed to me uh, by everybody there. A tale um, as old as time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It's still happening today, actually, at most gyms I go to. Um, and that kind of was um, where we really started the relationship. So we never, never started out financial. It was literally Greg saw a tool that we made and thought it would work. And then whenever they asked for something, the original CrossFit, as you guys know, because you are, it was really fun people to hang out with. Like I was saying yes to anything. Yeah. I didn't even have to know the people. I just knew if they, if they were of the cult or the clan, mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll go, I'll go play. It'll be fun. Um, and then met Greg, met Dave. And that was when there was talk about, Hey, we're thinking about doing how it wouldn't be fun if we had a competition where everybody came and did CrossFit. And, and then of course the first games happened and they said, Hey, can we get some machines out to aromas California for this thing? That's never happened. You know, we're not sure if we can afford them or use them or all this stuff, but we did it anyways and went out, had a great time. And lucky for me, I've been to every games because of that, just to support the support, the community, have some fun. Um, I instantly started doing CrossFit. As soon as I got back, I was on the website um, I couldn't do a muscle up when I got out there. So somebody, I think it might have been Eddie Lugo way back when sent me a set oh, yeah. of rings that get practicing oh, that's <laughs> Hung cool. those at the, in the gym yeah. at, the, at concept two. And then I was the crazy CrossFitter at concept two. And everyone thought I was an idiot because I was doing like wall balls <laughs> and like all this crazy stuff. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's basically awesome. how it all came about. Yeah. Wait, so how many people have you converted now over the, over the years? I mean, we were actually at our peak. I think we had something like 20 of the 60 employees at Concept2 were doing CrossFit. Actively. Oh, wow. That's it's awesome. It's fallen off a little bit, but um, 
basically what I would do is I would go on the old forum boards or the actual CrossFit.com and I'd write the daily workout when I did it on the whiteboard. And anybody who came into the gym after me would see that's what it was. And then they'd come into my cubicle and they'd be like, what does that mean? You know, all the acronyms. Right. And I'm like, that means this. And then I, then of course I'd leave my work and I'd go show them. And, you know, after doing that a couple of times, half my day was done and I hadn't done anything at work, but it, it was fun. I knew I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and we actually have, uh, I have a coworker who's, um, uh, basically his wife runs, uh, or that was an affiliate. They hopefully will be real affi- affiliating at some point. And then, um, a, another a coworker that had another gym also that was doing CrossFit. So, um, and then actually, uh, Peter Dreisagacker really got into it for a while, came to the games a couple of times to watch. And so, I mean, at the time he was probably 60 when he started. So, oh, wow. Yeah, right on. Super and we cool. had, um, you, I don't know if you ever, Pat ever came out. We used to have a uh, rowing search here in Vermont and we actually had Greg out and, um, a couple of times to Vermont, uh, Bergner came out a bunch of people. We used to have a really good time having people out from headquarters. I remember that. And wasn't there a section of it that where people would actually get on the water? No, that was a big part of it. Yeah. It was hilarious. Cause everyone's like, Oh, I'm really good on the erg. And We'd give them, <laughs> give them a shell and it ended up being like a biathlon swim and rowing all together because no one could see say, Yeah, how many people wound up going in the drink in those days? It's Yo. always the guys, it's always the guys with egos that go in first because you know every every pole is like they're going to do a deadlift or something. So yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, yep. Yep. If there's video, I'll have to see it. I'm sure there's some great, some great stuff that went down. We there. do have video, and I think uh, John Gilmer again faster. John Gilson oh, yeah. Yeah. came and did all the video work, I think, for it back then. Yeah. that's cool yeah uh, back in the day no i completely i completely remember that that's that's super cool that's quite a walk down memory lane to be honest with you yeah it, it really no joke it was, it's what made my time at concept two the most enjoyable uh was when crossfit came in i mean it really made my time here so much more enjoyable and fun and like i said you get to end up hanging out with people you'd hang out with anyways it's kind of fun so yeah and you know what's funny is this is not exactly true but it's pretty true. Whereas if hey, you know, Mark, Mark Twain said, uh, never let facts get in the way of a good story. Right? <laughs> right. So, exactly. it's, is that a true story? It's, it's true that it is a story. You yeah. can almost, parts, tell, parts you can almost tell that something works really well for your fitness if people don't want to do it or they make like a little frowny face when you bring it up. You know, you're like, you're like, let's do Elizabeth. They're like, yay. Like, let's do it with squat cleans. They're like, oh, you know, or and like, hey, let's let's pull really hard on the concept two row. Like, oh no, I'd rather not. Like, it just it just delivers the goods, man. It delivers yeah. the goods every is it, and it's one of those things that the more that you want to give it, it gives it right back to you, man. It is a oh, it's say so you'll never beat the machine. We have yet oh. to find a human that can beat beat the machines. It's it's yeah. special. It, it it makes me question my fitness and say, why do I do this stuff to myself? But it it's <laughs> it's wonderfully beneficial at the same time. So we we reached out to the community for about hot topics that were on their minds and people responded en masse. I will go ahead and say <laughs> that. There's some common themes. And so if I don't get to somebody's question, that's okay. I probably deleted it because somebody else asked a similar question. And I think we'll hit some really good high points here that hopefully clear up some mysteries or confusion about the concept to row or rowing in general that you know i think some people when they're first getting into crossfit or lifting and they're learning the power clean they figure well if i just yank on the barbell harder my power clean will get bigger it's like well maybe to a certain point then you're going to hit a plateau and you got to address that technique it's kind of the same deal like 
yeah, can I just yank on the handle and I'm going to be a great rower? It's like, eh, eh, probably not. <laughs> so we'll, yeah. we'll see what we can do for you. So one of the most, I guess, popular or upvoted questions is people are just curious as the damper on the side. Like mm-hmm. what, what the heck is that for? Is, you know, does one mean easy? Does 10 mean hard? Is there a hamster behind that thing doing something like what's, what's going on? So what's the damper all about and how do people, how should you use it? What is it for? Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll add to this too. I sent you a link that maybe you could put in the notes too. And so we actually have okay. a section on our website called damper setting 101. Uh, and it breaks down a little bit more of the science of how it works, but I'll, I'll give you the gym speak, how it works and in, in the, in the gist of it. So the damper on the side of the machine that goes one to 10, and they've been on there since the model C's on there, they look a little different each time. You'll notice if you look at it from the side, when it's on 10, there's a big open area where the air gets sucked in. And on one, you know, down by one, it closes that off. Anybody who has a fireplace, it's like a chimney flue, you know, open and closed, basically on there. When it's more open, meaning the higher numbers up to 10, it's gobbling in air. And so that fan that's in there that's spinning slows down faster. In other words, there's going to be more load uh, or drag factor, which we can get into, mm-hmm. um, meaning the higher the number it's on, the faster the flywheel slows down between strokes on there. Uh, now that translates into, because it, why, first of all, why is there a one to 10? Um, for on-water rowing, there's guys that row in eights, those big heavy boats like Oxford Blues, everyone's on the water, eight guys, a lot of weight on the boat. So it's mm. not going to glide, say like a racing shell, a single racing shell. So if you want to put it in terms of in your mind of what it's going to be like, the lower numbers is this long, sleek boat. The other one's going to be think of like a rowboat or something heavy. Interesting. Okay. So in other words, in the water, if something's heavier, it's not going to glide as long as something that's that's lighter on there. So think of if you want that um I guess I hate to use the term heavy and light, but uh, low drag and high drag on there. Uh, you're going to set that based on a couple of things. Uh, one of which is going to be how far do you plan on going? Almost like uh, what can you sustain over time? Um, and the monitor, believe it or not, between every stroke actually is knows how fast it's slowing down. So the monitor, there's nothing connected to that one to 10 lever. So it's not registering registering what number it's on. It's literally registering uh, how fast the flywheel is decelerating from the catch to the finish. Okay. Which it, it's I've been saying this for 26 years, and every time I hear myself say it, I can see understand why people are confused. But there's actually more on the website. We'll talk about it. But as we go through the questions, I think it'll be more clear too. So, so let me let me see if I can read that back a little bit. You have this mechanical property where you've got air coming in. And more air means it slows down faster. And then the mechanical property of that is being interpreted by the monitor. It doesn't really care what the airflow is. What it does measure, though, is how quickly that flywheel starts to slow down. And that's a product of that mechanical aspect of the air that you exactly. let into the system. And that, why we're right? so, that's right. And then the, why we're so accurate and why you can't compare, say, like a ZBEX machine or something like that to ours because where the science is in there is is in the monitor and how it does the mathematical calculations. To get a good time on the rower, there's a couple of different things. It's gotta be power, but there's also acceleration. So, you know, how fast can you get that flywheel moving? 
Um, how long does it move for? There's a couple of different things in there. Um, and the monitor basically does all that calculations. That's why people say like, oh, my machine's 20 years old. I need to recalibrate it. Well, you don't because the machine actually recalibrates between every single stroke. Hmm. It knows exactly what it's doing. So that's why um, say someone was going to try out for a college crew program. They could be on their dad's 20-year-old Model B or not 30-year-old Model B now or a brand new machine and their times are going to be exact or very, very similar. Interesting. On either yeah. Wow. yeah. Well, you just so that's took that excuse from my. I'm, I guess I can't do the whole. Got to recalibrate my monitor. You know? <laughs> well, so so that being that said, I'll gone. tell you. I'll tell you this. So um, you guys probably know. Not everyone probably knows, but so there's the damper, which is the one to ten, and then there's a number called drag factor, and the yeah. drag factor you can find on on any of your monitors. Um, I don't know if you can see, I got a PM5 here. I don't know if you can see it or not, but if you look at a PM5 and you turn it on, if you can see it, but there's going to be more options. And then right at the very top says display drag factor. And mm -hmm. when you hit the display drag factor and you start to row, it's actually giving you a numerical number to represent how fast it's slowing down. Um, everybody should know this. If you, it's almost, it, there's no such thing as a cheat code or a way to beat the machine, but you can be smart about the machine, which will give you a, uh, you know, a definite advantage over someone who doesn't know this sort of thing. Um, so, so for me, say, I, I know my sweet spot, my drag factor is a 117, and that's going to be for anything from probably a 5K, you know, probably, let's see, probably from a thousand meters to a 5K or a 10K. That's where I'm, that's my starting point. That's where I know I feel good. It's not not too heavy of a load. Um, I can feel quick and lively at the catch, and then from there I make some adjustments. If it's a you know a, a bro challenge bar trick and we're going to do hundred meters, well I know I can move that up because I'm only going to go hundred meters. I won't you know I can blow up in hundred meters. I'm just doing it to beat my buddy, uh, but there's no way I would. I would have it on you know, a high number for any length of time because you're just not going to be efficient. So everybody should start out, row like they normally row, find out what that drag factor is, and then maybe try a little bit lower on a same distance, say you use a 2K or a 1K as a test, and then start feeling around where they're most efficient on there. Um, the other reason why it's good to know this is that on our machines, you'll see there's a screen or on the outside of the machine where the air diffuses out. In some gyms that don't do any maintenance, you'll see those holes clogged up with dust and dog mm -hmm. hair and things like that. If those holes are clogged up on a new machine, say you're at a four damper setting, if they're closed off or the air can't flow well, you might need to bump it up to get the same drag mm -hmm. factor. So on a new machine, yeah. yeah. So um, so say I'm like you know, there's a thing called crash beads, the world indoor championships. They used to always be in Boston. Um, and I train here in Vermont and I know on my rower at home in my basement at 117, um, uh, drag factor is my sweet spot, but then I'm going to a machine I've never used before, probably newer than mine in Boston, you know, at sea level, rather than just going to the same number four that I always row on, I'm actually going to bring up the drag factor and mm -hmm. I'm going to adjust my damper to get me to that 117. And it might be a little bit different. It might be a four and a half half might be a three and a half depending on the machine so um that's that, that's why it's always good to know how to get drag factor and, and how to look at it on there so, yeah and th this might be jumping ahead just a little bit but to go back to something that you said earlier 
basically what we're talking about here is the time it takes for the, the wheel to slow down. And the way I think about this, and I'm curious as to whether this is accurate because I've never really talked to anybody about it. Uh, I, I think about, okay, we're on the water. I do a stroke in the boat. It's going to propel me forward. But at a certain time, I'm going to stop moving, right? And so if the drag or, and the, you know, the damper is, is really, really heavy, what that means is it doesn't take long for me to do a stroke and stop and do a stroke and stop. And if I'm not aware of that, what that means is basically every time I start a stroke, I'm starting from closer to a dead stop than I would be otherwise. And, I, and so uh, the way my mind works is I translate that to something like a sled. Like if I'm pushing a sled, the hardest part about pushing the sled is getting it going initially. Once I get it going, if I can keep it going, it's going to be okay. But if I stop every step and try to start from a dead stop, it becomes really, really muscularly difficult. And I feel like that's kind of the same thing that's happening on it is. the the rower. So that is close. Like I'm not. Yeah. And actually very, mind. very well put. That's a, that's a great analogy for people. Um, and that's also where you take what you just said and then stroke rate, stroke rating. Um, because that's, you also don't want to take too many strokes and you don't want to take too few strokes. Like you said, you want to be able to keep it where it's moving and it's moving at a good pace where you can sustain the duration that's being asked of you, whether it be a marathon, 1K, a 2K, and then the adjustments are made within that. But that was a yeah, great analogy in there. And okay, so the wheel's got to keep moving is the, is the key, right? Like it's got to keep moving. It's got to keep moving. Um, I saw there's some other questions later on we'll get to about starting and things like that. But yeah, you're right. Um, that's why you want to find where you're most efficient. Um, and Correct that's me if I'm wrong, you know, but I think it's pretty safe to say, you know, hearing what you said, Greg, that the drag factor is so critical, right? It's, it's obviously important to know what the damper does and how that affects the machine and all that. But identifying your sweet spot and the drag factor is mission critical. I feel like that is interesting to me because it's if it's the mission critical thing for each individual rower, I don't know a lot of CrossFitters really that do that. I think most people just mm. hop on the machine and they know what they like yeah. to have the damper on. Ah, we're rowing for cows and an EMOM, slap it to 10. <laughs> ah, I'm going to do um, rowing in a workout several 500 meters in like a, a Helen style workout with rowing. I'm going to put it on seven. I don't hear a single person to go to the, you know, talk about the drag factor, go to the drag factor screen. I think that if anybody walks away with a, a jewel from this, it might be understanding that, exploring that, and then working that into their own training. Because I, think, I don't think a lot of people are, quite frankly. No, I think you're right. But it's, it's the difference between, you know, people don't tend to practice the rower. They'll practice Olympic lifts. Mm -hmm. They'll practice all this other stuff. They won't practice the rower. Now, if you go into a workout, you just finished work, you're not a competitive CrossFitter, and the stimulus is to just sweat and breathe heavy and, and make some gains in your strength, doing it with that strategy, just getting on and doing what you always do. I mean, if you're sweaty and you're out of breath and whatever, great. You, you did what you were asked to do. If you want to improve on your workout, on your wad from what you did last time, incorporating the technique, knowing the monitor, the damper settings, that's all going to make it more enjoyable. You probably will increase your, your, um, your time on the machine or not increase your time. You'll get a better time on your workout mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But the nice thing about the machine is that even if you don't do all this stuff, as most CrossFitters know, you're you're going to achieve the goal of a good workout, but it's going to be more enjoyable. 
and if you ever want to compete against your buddies and maybe be able to trash talk and stuff, knowing these yes. little things are going to help you. I have over the years in the games, uh, from aromas days to now though, it used to be, you know, I'd say right now, everybody that was at rogue invitational or the games, the top athletes, they know about damper setting. Mm-hmm. They know about drag factor. Sure. Um, so it really is, you know, if I told somebody like, there's a chance you could win a lot of money if you took the time to learn this, they're all right. going to do it. Mm-hmm. If I yeah. talk to average Joe just finished eight hours of work and guys got to get a workout in before he feeds the kids, he'd be like, I got no time for that. But let me flip that a little bit though. And I'll tell you, this is off the back. I, I prime this idea a little bit with the uh, dimension that I spent all of last month, like rowing every day you know, <laughs> for this stupid challenge. And I was one of those people that for years, it's like, yeah, I, I got enough information to be dangerous on the rower, but I'm not really going to pay that much attention to it until it's like, okay, I'm doing this every day. Let's dial it in a little bit. Mm. And one of the things that I noticed when I did take the time to, okay, let's get the drag factor. Let's experiment a little bit. Um, to your point about making it more enjoyable and, and therefore something that I think I would engage with more. When I got the damper dialed in and the drag factor dialed in, I felt completely different on the same effort from day to day. And what I mean by that was traditionally, I think I had things set way too heavy. And I know you don't like that term, but too aggressively, whatever. And what would happen was I would basically be muscularly fatigued before my cardiovascular system or my stamina was was tapping out. And so the analogy roughly in my head that I started to slowly kind of picture, and and again, I don't know how accurate this is, but is basically like, okay, I have a choice. Do I want to deadlift 400 pounds five times or do I want to deadlift 225 10 times? And if I have to do that effort over and over and over again, which one am I going to reach for? I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. I'm a skinny guy. I'm not that strong. I'll tell you exactly which way I'm going to land every single time. If I'm looking at a 20 minute workout, like if there's no question, the 405 is going to be off limits very, very quickly, you know? So boom, I get it a little bit lighter. I'm in the game a little bit longer. And I, I, I bet you that's a pretty rough analogy, but man, it sure felt a lot different when I got things dialed in. And I didn't feel like, oh, this is a local muscular fatigue issue. Now it's a systemic thing that I can either sustain or not. Yeah. And then depending on the wad that you're, whatever you're doing after, whatever the stimulus is after the rowing, you can use that knowledge that you just took and say, okay, the old saying in CrossFit was always, you know, you can never win a workout on the rower, but you can lose one. And, <laughs> and, that, and that's, and that's be the people that said, oh, I'm just going to, you know, they go too hard on the rower. And then you go and spend, you know, 10 seconds staring at your barbell, you know, when you get right. done if they knew how to row and they knew how to get a good score with maybe a little less uh, muscular expenditure um, or cardio cardiac expenditure, depending on which way you you fall, um, they would really help them out in the workout, but Mm -hmm. you're exactly right. Um, The other thing that also too, is like, it depends on the distance that you're doing about it. I mean, like if it's a hundred meters all out, then yeah, could have the damper a little bit higher because then it's going to be more like the rep range, I mean, it's going to be like 15 strokes or 15 deadlifts, you know, yeah, uh, but yeah. when you start getting out to like real cardiac distances or cardio distances, you know, the, the one thousands, the two K's, the half marathons, the marathons, you, I mean, you better know how to pace it, you know? So, yeah. So maybe, yeah, cool. maybe we just chat about a couple of those distances for a second, because I think a lot of CrossFitters will know what that feels like, right? Five hundreds, thousands, 2000 to five, you know, Hopefully they know what a 5,000 feels like as well. For you personally, 
when you hop on the road, Greg, and you're going to do those efforts, you know, your drag factor, you know, your damper settings, do those tweak and change depending upon whether you're getting on for a 500, a thousand or a 5k? And if so, why? And what do you do personally? Yeah. I mean, so that's a, that's a good question. So on the longer distances, first thing I'm going to do is I'm always going to set my, my drag factor. When I sit down, set my drag factor, make sure my damper is where I want to have it. Um, <clears throat> I use split times, which I think is really good for people to learn when they're learning rowing split times would be when you're rowing and you see the like two dot dot oh five. So in other words, like two minutes, five seconds per 500 meter. I use that a lot on my distances and I, I kind of already know benchmark how I'm going to feel at, at, at those averages. Mm -hmm. So I know that, you know, at a two minute split, I'm pretty good for quite a while. That's, that's definitely doable. If I get to the point where say I'm doing a 5,000 meter and you always feel good, the first 5,000, I bring it down to like a 145. I mean, I'm, I'm robbing from the bank and I'm probably going to have to back it back down. Um, the only rule we have in racing on the rowing machine is that you can't change your damper once you set your workout. On okay. Um, so, and this, luckily we, you know, it's never happened at the games. I think the judges are well briefed, but even in world championships and, and, you know, where we have on water rowers racing on it, that's the, the standard is you set it to what it's set at. And then, then it's up to you to read your body and know, you know, basically how hard to hit it, stuff like that. Okay. Well, I, I'm curious, why is that the case? Uh, uh, you know, I'm just not familiar with that. Is that because, well, I guess I'm, yeah, I guess I'm not sure. Um, that's right. So it's just always been that standard, but it's going to be, yeah. have to do with when the monitor reads it because I'm, I'm, and I'd have to ask one of the engineers, but I think that, um, because it's establishing a baseline of deceleration between strokes. And if in the middle of a workout, you start messing with that, you know, it's, it's going to, even though it's checking it each time, it's probably not going to be the best way to Ah, to make sure it's accurate on there. So, um, cool. yeah, it's amazing. All these years, of the games, um, I've never seen an athlete do it. And, you know, I'm, and I don't think we necessarily brief it, although we probably should, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're usually too busy with the workout to even think about doing that. But yeah. I mean, I, I've done it myself in workouts in my own basement where, especially like with the biker, where I have it set really high because I feel really good. And then quickly within the first you know, five minutes of work. I'm like, Oh, that was aggressive. And then right. <laughs> so. <laughs> so. fair enough. Yeah. There's a, a very popular question as well. People want to know, does strategy and the rower change if you're rowing meters versus calories, or is it same, same, and just giving you a different unit of measurement? It's a different unit of measurement uh, on there. Um, the calorie is a weird thing. So it, the owners of Concept2 had a hard time wrapping around Greg Glassman wanting to use calories. They thought that was just ridiculous because, first of all, you know, a calorie, a real calorie is going to need to, you're going to need to know like oxygen, you know, like an actual burnt calorie. And it's already not that. We base our calories off of a yeah. mathematical equation based on, I think, 155 pound male. Mm. So it's already, you know, not really a calorie on there. We know Greg wanted it because it's a similar number to reps on there, but uh, we actually went to headquarters and asked for, I think they wanted to put uh, CFUs. So CrossFit units is what they wanted <laughs> to use. Um, That's amazing. Right. So it's not really calories. It's, a, it's a, just a unit of measure. And yeah. all of our mathematical calculations in the monitor are based off wattage. So what most people know is you, you can use your monitor in watts if you wanted to. Um, that's what it's making the uh, speed and pace calculations off watts. 
which is also then converted into the calorie um, equation that we have in there. So you're going to row, to answer your question, you're going to row exactly the same for meters or for calories. Typically, though, in a calorie workout, it's going to be a shorter distance in time. Um, no one's going to do, say, like a million calories or something like that, you know, it's, right, uh, right. or like a marathon version in calories. You're always going to switch to meters when you do it. So good rowing with good technique and a well-set drag factor or damper setting on there is how you are going to get the best score possible on the rowing machine. And there's no hacks or tricks, although there's a lot of people out there who want you to go to their Instagram account and say, I've got, I've got the trick. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever, yeah. whatever. So, yeah. well, and, and maybe to, to speculate on something you said earlier, where, look, if you're going for a hundred meters going for broke, it's not going to matter nearly as much because there's just not enough time for you to reap the uh, <laughs> detrimental effects that are going to come from that effort, right? Like you're not going to blow up. There's just not enough work to be done there. I think a lot of times with calories specifically, most people are going to use them to pretty low reps, right? Quote unquote, yeah. it'll be like five at a time, 10 at a time. You kind of get the same effect. It's just not that far to go. And therefore it becomes a little bit less instant. Like it doesn't matter as much what that, uh, if that damper is a little too heavy. Right. Um, whereas yeah, like if you were to, yeah, like I said, the marathon or half marathon, you, you better yeah. get it right. Yeah, exactly. So. Or, or to extend that the other way, right? If you're like, okay, it's a thousand calorie effort. Well, now you, you better have that dialed in. 10 calorie yeah. effort though, eh, probably not going to matter so much, right? Well, we've seen it too. Like the big hosses that are out there that um, do, they row like they're doing a series of deadlifts. It, it yeah. you know, works for them, you know, on, on a low calorie workout. Mm -hmm. You get that same person trying to deadlift a half marathon and it's not going to go well, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So a general encapsulation so far, we've got a bit more to go, is be it calories, be it meters, be it a 500 meter effort, be it a 5K, be it 1000 meter repeats, your friend is going to be learning about and understanding and finding your drag factor, understanding what the damper does, and then just using those tools to your advantage, regardless of the workout or the distance. Exactly. And, and then even that, what trumps even that is technique work, making sure that you have that wave of contraction going from, you know, quads core, you know, midline out. So you're going to basically it's, you know, your quads are initial. First of all, you're going to have a tight torso so that when you apply pressure with your quads, you're not folding forward. You're going to try to translate that power from your legs through your torso, through your arms and into the chain without any, you know, gaps in there. So in other words, if you have strong legs with a great leg drive, but your scapulas come forward or you lean forward, that's absorbing that power from your legs. You want to get as much power from your, you know, your quads, hamstrings, glutes, and hips up your body, down your arms, into the chain, into the flywheel. Um, that's, that's really the, the way to go. <laughs> technique, technique, technique. Yeah. And it's like I said, that's always been the thing. Some will go, they'll take uh, you know, one Olympic lifting class a year and practice, practice, practice. And then they'll go in a workout on the rower and they'll like, Oh, I never practiced the rower. And it's like, oh, okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get it. It's not very sexy, but it, it, it works. It helps. So yeah, we, oh. Greg, we actually did a, a, an episode. This is a long time ago now, but we had uh, the most criminally undercoached movements and rowing was on <laughs> both of our lists. So <laughs> there mm -hmm. you go. Hopefully we yeah. did you proud. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. And actually, you know, it's amazing in CrossFit. I've always seen that it's really, especially competitive CrossFitters, just going from ugly to decent is a huge advantage. And then like probably anything, any kind of technique skill, you know, it's that, you know, that last little bit to really dial it in, but just going from ugly rolling to decent is a huge gain. If, even if you just look at your own affiliate and your buddies you work out with, um, you know, if you just took some time and actually didn't even tell them you were practicing, just cleaned up your own game <laughs> and went in there, it would be noticeable, you know? So, well, I know there's somebody that's going to do that. And that brings me great joy. There's going to be somebody that listens or watches this episode and is like, I'm going to study up on this and not tell any of my friends. And yeah, oh, it's going to be awesome. That's my whole CrossFit career is like, sandbagging. And it's like, oh, no, yeah, it's like faking an injury. Oh, no, it's okay. So. Uh, let's see. Some good. So we've covered a, a fair amount of ground. Because like I said, a lot of the questions are linked. And I think a lot of them point back to those top three things, technique, drag factor, and damper. And just to remind everybody, I'll make sure that this happens. Uh, but what you said is a great idea, Greg, that we should put in the show notes some links to those useful articles or videos so if people want to really dive into the details, they can. So make sure everybody check out the yeah. show notes on this one. Um, the, um, I noticed in your list here, I just went to go over, it's like, when is putting it on 10 a good idea? Um, and... Normally, I would just Put say, it on 10, baby. It's, it, it's never a good idea. Um, although any gym you go into, they're all set on 10. Um, right. Because nobody <laughs> wants a, nobody wants the good looking girl behind you to see you on anything less than a 10. Because, of uh, you know, it, so, uh, but that being said, so, you know, like we were at the Rogue Invitational and like guys, you know, these, um, so mass moves, you know, uh, basically the drag. So if you're a big dude, football player, Brian Shaw, you know, one of those guys. Oh, geez, right. And the, and, and the once you get your body mass sliding down that rail, that's essentially helping you with moving the flywheel. Mm. So that's the outlier. That's when it should be on 10. When you're that heavy that once you get your mass moving down the rail, what you have set at 10 feels like what you would uh, we would feel at our normal 5 or 10 you know, gotcha. Okay. Factor on there, um, but other than that, it should never really be used on ten unless you are doing really short bursts and you're trying to use it like a strength machine, um, you know, or something like that. So I remember um, standing next to Brian Shaw at the Invitational. I think it's safe to say that most human beings are not Brian Shaw, and so therefore, <laughs> therefore, yeah. a ten is probably not the right call for most people but, watching yeah. or listening. I think well, people say do. most most two people are not Brian Shaw. Yeah. I mean, he's enormous. He's a huge yeah. well, human. With the 10, that's one thing that is so we get this a lot with people new to rowing and they get their rowing machine, they unbox it, they set it up, they put it on 10 and they start rowing really lightly and they go, oh, my, my machine's broken. They call a concept two and like my machine's broken. I'm not getting any resistance because they think of a weight stack on the old weeder machines, you know, 10 is uh, okay, the one. Sure. But the only way you're going to get that load is by the air getting sucked in. So in other words, how fast you're driving back. So we basically have to tell people, um, you know, well, how I coach them over the phone to do it is like, put it on Watts and start rowing until you get your body weight in Watts. And they're like, okay, it's still really easy. I think your machine's broken. And I'm like, okay, now try to double that. Go a little bit harder, try to double your body weight. And within two or three times, they realize as they start pulling back faster and harder and they feel that low, they're like, oh, now I get it. This is too much. I'm like, okay, now back it down to like a three and mm -hmm. do that again on there because it's that acceleration of the flywheel which is sucking the the air in which is causing that 
deceleration of the flywheel on there. So, you know, that's why you can get a machine that's on 10 and you can pull it out with your pinky if you want, or you could put it on one and drive with all your force and it feels heavy because it's gobbling more air into that enclosed fan cage. And when you pull the handle out with your pinky, you should pull it out all the way, just let it go and just have it snap back right into the machine, right? Hey, Christmas is coming. I need to sell more monitors so I can buy presents. So yeah, do whatever you want. <laughs> Throw it in there. Fine. Um, yeah. And then um, I noticed on, in one of the questions, you know, it was really good. And I feel, I mean, I say I'm 5'10", probably a little less than that. Um, but there's some people in here that mentioned, um, was it uh, Lita is four, four foot ten, and she's asking right. about, you know, is there a way for shorter athletes to? Why does the rower hate her? Was your question. <laughs> yeah, and we get we get that a lot. Um, yeah, Annie Sakamoto used to say that. Like, there's not certain CrossFitters that would just give me a stink eye about just because I'm affiliated with a rowing machine. It's kind of weird. <laughs> no, not Annie. She's great. But right. so so basically, when you think of um, if you have it on meters, meters of course is distance, and because they might have some buddies in college that rode, and they're all rowers are tall people. So if you think of in a boat and you've got an oar in your hand, it's this long lever and you are a long person with long arms and your long torso. That means the arc of that oar is beneficial. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to that on the rowing machine. If somebody has really long legs, so I'm five, say I'm five ten, and somebody is six, five, right. um, just based on my leg length, I'm only going to be able to get that chain out so far. Um, and the taller person is going to go further. So the further the chain comes out, that distance is what equates to meters distance. Um, so this is what I'm getting to. Yeah. As you see, so yes. the old idea was, and if you watch the original Roma's games, there was all these short people who were laying back and pulling yeah. the handle up, up yeah. over their head. And because, and they, you know, I understood their thought process. They're like, Oh, taller people get better scores on the rower. I'm going to make myself tall. The problem is it puts you in such a poor uh, body position that you don't have the acceleration at the catch because you're overreaching at the front and you're losing it on the back end because they're they've this flywheel is slowing down and they're trying to get this last little bit of length when they could be going back to the catch and getting it moving faster more quickly. Um, and so at least we don't see as much neck pulling or over the head pulling that we used to. Um, I mean, I can understand their thought process mm -hmm. was. I understand what they were thinking. It's not doing you any favors though. Not doing any favors. And that's why good body position at the catch, getting that flywheel moving quickly faster um, is going to be advantageous. And then also when you're not getting any appreciable speed out of the flywheel, you're much better off to then go arms, hips, legs back to the catch and take another stroke on there. So yeah, well, and, and pointing back to what you said before, it seems like that's one more reason to get the drag factor dialed in for your personal um, strengths and weaknesses. So that even if you are a smaller individual and you have to take mm -hmm. more strokes to make up the same ground, at least you're not going to be beat up when you get there. You're going to feel ready for whatever's next, um, you know, even if you have a little bit of a mechanical disadvantage. And what right. I think about that, too, with, with uh, you know, bigger and smaller people, I'm, I'm not a huge person, you know, like I... Uh, Greg, I'm, I'm the same. I'm like 5'10 on paper, but yeah. the reality Driver's is not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm not that heavy either. You know, like I've, I've weighed 165 consistently forever. And, um, you know, so not that big, not that strong. Uh, and, and what I'm getting at there is, 
you can still make up by effort, you know, like it doesn't matter if your mechanics aren't exactly uh, ideal for rowing, what you put into each stroke, you still have muscular effort on your, um, on your side, you know what I mean? So you, you can play around with that and you can maybe not overcome it because there's certain things that are just fixed, but you can certainly, I think, narrow the gap. And to your point earlier, if you've got a better technique and you're more efficient, even if you have to take more strokes to get the job done, it's likely that it's going to be less of a deficit than maybe you have in your head. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's my, and that's and my so what you're going to give up on that. the length, <laughs> on the overall, what you're going to, as a short person, uh, if you what you're going to give up in length of leg and length of chain pull can be made up with a better catch where the, you know, you make your money on the, on the first probably seven or eight inches of the catch of the, where you're really getting that mm. flywheel moving quickly. So if you're going to focus on one thing as a shorter athlete, is that really good catch, get that flywheel spinning faster before the hollow person does, because you know, when your chain doesn't go back anymore and theirs does, you need to have made up that distance mm. at the catch on there. So mm. um, when I was, we used to have to do the world championships in Boston every year and way back when, when I was doing it, the cross was just getting big. I could tell who the crossers were in the crowd based on height and stuff like that. And so we would always talk and say, well, here's our, you know, we're probably not going to win obviously. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to really concentrate on what we can control. We can't control our height. And we know that making yourself artificially tall does not work. We're going to work at that really strong initial drive, um, mm. on, on the rower. That's where, that's what you should focus on if you're a shorter athlete. And is that linked to the question that somebody asked as to why do you see some people when they start, they first get on the row, they'll do two, three, four, just really quick, short pulls. Are they trying to get the wheel going? And, and are they barking up the wrong tree or are they onto something with that? No, they're definitely onto something. Uh, matter of fact, um, that should be done. Um, so if you think about it again, we'll go back to the on the water. You're sitting in a boat, rowboat, say you're, you know, regular old fashioned rowboat and you're not moving those first couple pulls to get that weight moving kind of like what Boz was talking about before it's going to be this really hard heavy pull but if you did a couple of quick short choppy strokes first that's going to get that boat up and moving and then you can get into your into your stroke so if you look up race start on the erg and there's some youtube stuff on there shane farmers had some stuff and some other people it's a basically what we do some people do it differently what i've always done is quarter half full so a quarter stroke that quick little quick burst maybe a just breaking the knees staying mm -hmm. tight half full and then two full hard strokes and then settle into whatever pace i have in my mind i want to hold um and nothing faster because everyone feels like a champion at first <laughs> everyone's a hero in the first <laughs> round right yeah. yeah so no matter how good you feel stick with your game plan and if if it doesn't work completely then make up the distance you know make up your time at the other end um rather than dying and just watching their splits just go you know in the crapper which is terrible so yep the first hundred meters man you always feel like i got it this is the this oh, is yeah. the time this is the pr right you want to feel good when your guy next to you is looking at your monitor and questioning himself that's what that's what yeah. you want to be like okay this this works so yeah i i said this i think before we clicked on the camera so i should probably say it for everybody at home Sorry, my kids got me sick. So if you hear me coughing every now and then, I'm trying to cover my microphone. Super annoying. My apologies. Typical Sherwood. Sure, Doing my best, man. Blaming the, the kids. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Blaming the kids who weren't here to defend themselves. You, 
another question which got posted, which I think is interesting because you are obviously far more intimately familiar with all aspects of the rower than most people are. And so are there some hidden treasures, if you will, in the monitor, things that the monitor can do that would be beneficial that you're like, man, there's just some some jewels out there that no one's taking advantage of, or is it you just need the basic screen and you're good to go? And well, and well, what that means to say is beyond the fish game. We all know beyond the fish game, game is, is is the most important element yes. to be familiar with on that on the monitor. Fish game is it's, it's as boring as how Atari it is. Um, it's amazing how we will love that thing. Oh, um, I love it. So so yeah, I think what uh, Pat's probably getting at is people don't realize there's like a force curve, and that force curve that is basically shows you in a linear fashion where you're applying force within the stroke and it resets after every stroke um, that can help you coach um, basically your technique a little bit. Like if you picture a bell curve or we call it like a gumdrop curve. So initially at the catch, it's going to go up fairly steep. Then throughout the middle of your stroke, it's going to kind of level off and then it's going to come to the end of stroke and it's going to come back down. What you want is again that gum drop shape, not not a peak, not a all you know, blow your wad up high and then down really fast. That's you don't want a gonna, triangle. You don't want a triangle. Um, and then you can also see there's some weird curves that will show up. People who have um it's kind of like they open up their back too soon. So, in other words, as they're driving and their knees aren't they're completely straight yet but they start to open up. And we see that a lot, even in mm. elite competitions, um, you're going to see where your curve goes up, starts to mellow a little bit. And then there's another secondary hump. And that's mm. going to be the opening of the, of the hip. With um, someone ever told me like, you know, I row and my low back gets sore. I would probably put on the force curve and I would watch them see their stroke. And I'll say, see that second little hump there. That's, why your low back is getting sore because you're trying to carry a lot of the load with your low back when all that work should have been done with your legs before your hips opened up. So you remember the mantra, you know, legs, hips, arms, arms, hips, legs. If you can say that in your head um, and, you know, that'll help you clean up, um, you know, your, your stroke a little bit. So I would say that's a, that's a big one. That's probably the most beneficial little insider tip. And then the other thing is the memory feature. So if you have your, you know, if you're able to have a rowing machine at home, you can enter in, don't just go from zero to say 2k, say you're going to do a 2k, put 2k to have it go to zero. It will finish when you finish, it will take track of your time, your average splits, all that stuff. And then if you do that every time, you can actually go back in the lifetime of your machine and see on this date, I got this time on this date. I got this time. This was my average. This is all the stuff. So you can really track your progress. Um, and you can do that for any set distance. So your one K's, your five hundreds, your two K's, all that stuff. Um, so the internal memory is a, is a big thing. Um, and that also translates into like our online logbook is, is something else that we use a lot, especially with our challenges and things like that. That's, um, those are all great features that people don't usually take advantage of in a CrossFit setting. How about the subject that I'm so terrible at, maintenance? Um, that's it's actually it off. What do you need to do? <laughs> you you can do that. Really, as far as maintenance goes, um, they're pretty bulletproof. Really, I mean, um, if you don't clean off your rail, it gets this black gunk on it, and that black gunk basically is the seat rollers compressing. 
sweat and dust that was on the monorail and making these little black pancakes on there. Mm. Um, and it's also reacting with the stainless steel of the track and, and it makes it like that. And that's what gives you that bumpy ride. Most affiliates, cause you're not on it very long. They're like, whatever, I'll just deal with the bumpy ride. Um, but if you're like me and was a former test rower for the company, it really annoys you. Um, <laughs> any, I mean, you that stuff will come off with any water, glass cleaner, or even a sweaty t-shirt will take mm. it off if it's wet enough and it will clean it up. So that maintenance, again, it's probably not going to, it's not going to wreck your machine, but it won't be as enjoyable to use. And it's a quick, easy thing to do, even if you did it once a week. Um, the other thing is um, never spray the monitor. So even in times of COVID and things like that, spray a cloth and wipe your monitor as opposed to spraying it. That'll keep, you know, any moisture from getting inside the monitor, although they're pretty moisture, you know, resistant, not waterproof. Um, and then as far as the chains go, it depends on how old your machine is for the last, I believe eight or nine years, or maybe more, they're nickel plated chains. So if your chain is already shiny, it's nickel plated and you don't really need to do much, um, a light oiling, you know, if it's in your home, twice a year, maybe just put a little oil on a rag mm -hmm. and run the chain through the rag. Never drip oil on your chain. All that's going to do is fling oil inside your machine and just make a big mess. Um, so oil on the rag, run the chain through it. That's it. And then other than that, just wipe the dust off it. And, uh, you know, if anything ever does break, you just call concept two and the parts are cheap and replace it. So my kind of piece of gear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If no one's ever looked inside their machine too, I mean, it's, it's, if you, so most of the, a lot of people don't even know if they have only go to affiliates that the monorails come off. So anybody, you know, on most machines, you can lift the monorail off and flip the machine up on its nose, flywheel down, and you can pull out what's called the dust protector in the bottom and you can look inside it. And, and basically it's pretty simple in there. It's a bungee cord, a chain, um, a flywheel. So, I mean, it's not an intimidating machine once you get to looking at it and mess, messing around a little bit. Does it matter how you store the machine at all? I mean, I'm assuming you want the handle all the so, way forward. That's kind of a, a myth that came out oh, of okay. the, well, the old Model B days where the monorails didn't come off. Um, okay. So if you're if you're uh, you know the son of an older rower or you rode in college way back when, the old Model Bs you could lengthen the life of the shock cord by never put, leaving it in the thing. But from the Model C's newer you can leave it wherever you want. Cause even in the handle hook, it's not, there's not a lot of tension on that shock cord. You just as changed as, my life. Yeah. Well, it, <laughs> it's, Me too. People, people want to brag about how, well, and I tell everybody at my gym not to leave the handle in the thing. And I, I feel bad because they're very proud of that fact. They know that. And I'm like, well, actually since about 88 or so, you don't have to worry about that. Um, but That's um, funny. I've, I've definitely been guilty of that. Oh, when absolutely. Yeah. At the end of the day, and like taking them all out of the hook. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to, I do have to say, so affiliates that bring a lift them that leave them upright. Mm. If you do that, I would say take the handle out of the hook because how people break their monitors a lot of times is they set it up on their end and the handle comes out of the hook and whacks the monitor. Um, if you ever go on our website, we will say on our website, do not store the rower up on end. Um, not because it's going to hurt the machine is because it's a little unstable. And if you had a kid, and they knocked it over it's heavy and it's sharp edges on it and right like that. right um so we know every affiliate that's ever existed stores them that way and we don't hear a lot of things happening but as far as our suggestion is to separate from the monorail for storage um mm -hmm. but then again being upside down isn't going to hurt the machine at all we just have to be very careful if no one knocks them over and stuff 
Okay, I just I did not know that. That's all. That's me either. It's very cool. Yeah. I will I will fla- flaunt my new knowledge to some folks. I think we've made our way really nice through the questions, quite frankly. But uh, sanity check me both, you guys. Is there something we should chat about that we have not? No, I mean, well, I think I think the answer is yes. I think Greg, we should have you back, and we can talk more, dive into you know technique, maybe some corrective drills, things like that. But I think people will be really interested in. But I think for a first foray, we've done yeah. a pretty good uh, covered pretty good overage. Yeah, I think the yeah, ads, and then the, you know the other thing is the skier. Um, because yeah. although it looks similar to a rower, um, you know, not all the stuff is going to translate over. I mean, obviously not technique because it's going to be a little bit different. It's kind of the opposite, you know, it's the hip closing instead of the hip opening, things like that. Um, that would probably be good. Um, you know, there's, it's, we're still selling a lot of skiers for people that are new to it. So sometimes that's good. As far as the monitor goes and how the flywheel works, that's all, that's all the same. Um, but as far as technique goes and how to get better at the skier, again, it's also my personal favorite of the three machines we have i've always kind of if you're not a super tall person skier your jam um over a rower a tall guy on a rowing machine um and then the biker of course is you know there's a little bit of technique stuff on there but that's kind of its own deal um, we are definitely going to have to have you back and yeah, i'm going to no have to joke. hear your rationale about the skier because yep. i think you're dead wrong i think it's my <laughs> least favorite of the three <laughs> see i bet i bet like- you're built for it it's your machine man i think that's your ace <laughs> So um, you got to convince me because I'm not there. I'm like, I get the utility of it. I think it has a great place in the uh, pantheon of uh, of equipment. But on a personal level, I'm like, I just dread it every single time. <laughs> I think yeah. one of the things that gets to me is that because in CrossFit, everything is a lot of things are hip opening. Our hip closing sure. movements are going to yeah. be toes to bar, maybe ball slams. You're never going to do that many hip closings in a workout right. typically. So once you get used to it and you really get that core engagement and you realize it's not an arm movement, it's a total body movement and the, how you can use your body weight to assist you, um, you'll, you'll change your mind on it. But okay, um, I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. To for that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we have you guys come out to Vermont and we do it. We do one live here or something. Oh, like I would love that. it. I would love it. Yeah. No arm twisting needed for that. So yeah, it sounds like we do have plenty to, to have a full second show. So that'll be cool. But Greg, first of all, again, thanks so much, man, for your time, your knowledge. I mean, for how long you've been around the community and you have continually been just a, um, a positive individual to deal with helpful, supportive and positive. So Absolutely. truly thank you for that. No, I, I appreciate it. And it's, it's, it's mutual. Like I said, I want to have a job where I work with people that I would hang out with outside of work anyways. And that's what the community has always been for me anyways. Amen to that. So you're going to show me, I mean, send me probably already did, like you said, some notes or links, we'll put them in the show notes. Everybody make sure you check that out. But Greg, is there any way people, any contact information you want to give either for you or general support for the company or how can people find out more information? Yep. So most people don't realize they think our website's like a sales website, you know, for just for equipment, which it is. That's the first landing site. But we have a search window that will take you down any rabbit hole you want to know about monitors, calculations, drag factors, any of that stuff. It's in the upper section of concept2.com. Matter of fact, I sent you the link in that in your email about it. But if you just put in the word damper and hit enter, you are going to get a lot of good information on there. And I know for a fact, there's a lot of engineers and um, techie folks in, in our community. So uh, my explanations probably aren't good enough for them. They want to know more. That's a good place to go. Um, there's also 
um, a lot of technique information, technique videos, admittedly very dry typically because that's just who we are. We're not <laughs> super flashy, but all very good information. And then the other thing I want to encourage people, if you really want to get better, our holiday challenge is starting with something we've been doing forever. And you sign up and you commit to on our online logbook that anybody can open up a hundred thousand meters or 200,000 meters between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, you, it's easy enough to do <laughs> even with your CrossFit wads, um, you know, along the way, it's not Couldn't that big a deal. Right. I mean, I mean, at least at Champlain Valley and, you know, the fourth I goes, we'll see people, they'll, they'll just do longer warmups and longer cool downs on the equipment. And that even that will get them the hundred thousand in that time period, but that's just the time to practice. It's almost like, you know, what Bob said about doing his challenge you know, you've got plenty of time to think on the rower. You know, if you're doing it just as rowing and not in a wad, and it's just you, mm-hmm. you start to figure out the nuances of, oh, wait, I know if I do this with my feet or my legs or something like that, that things feel better. It's really the only way you're going to get better at rowing is to put in the meters and the time on it. And this is a good way the company will actually put money towards a charity of your choice while you do it too. So oh, very cool. Uh, cool. as long as you crest a hundred thousand or 200,000, you have a choice. I think it's four or five different charities, whichever one is close to your heart. And then, you know, we actually put money in from concept two to do it. So that's a really fun one. And then right now is the skiered sprint. So if you want to throw down and compare yourself worldwide for a thousand meters on the skiered skiered sprints, I believe starts this weekend. So it's just a thousand meter, all out, go throw up and brag to your buddies. Oh, <laughs> that sounds special. Uh, okay, I do have I, I do have one final question while we're on the uh, topic sure. of kind of fun here. I'll put you on the spot a little bit here, Greg. In the in the most succinct way possible, what was more stressful for you, running the marathon row that we did at the CrossFit Games that one year, or running that event where we had all the skiers linked up and uh, everybody swimming uh, with the skiers this year, this which one was skier by, skier by far was more stressful. Yeah. Okay. Um, again, we're an indoor exercise equipment and everybody wants to put our shit with water for some reason. <laughs> the one thing that has electronics and cables and like, Hey, let's do it by water. And it's a, uh, it's not just, I love uh, your programming. It's not, there's nothing down with that, but like, even like uh, Dubai championships, the first year the biker came out, what do they do? They bring the bike into a pool that's got a hundred percent humidity <laughs> and that water is coming off the athletes and going through our monitors. And they're oh, like, man. you know, why did it break? Oh, I don't know because you had water going through the monitor. Maybe that's it. That's so, awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's always good. Like I said, working with you is awesome. Working with Dave was awesome. Um, uh, likewise. You know, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's, you know, it's a stress. When we did the marathon row, we were getting up in the mornings at like four a.m. and splitting marathons with another person just so we could reenact the whole workout several times. Because if you remember right, there was like a workout within a workout, which. Mm. Every time somebody at CrossFit has a good idea, we end up having to get re- remake the programming and all this stuff like that. But um, yeah, I probably logged more meters on the rowing machine that year testing that workout than the athletes did. Yeah, it was, it was rough. So good, uh, good times that I, people probably enjoyed that little look behind the scenes to is what goes uh, on to actually make some of those events happen. So you've been you've been involved in countless things, and again, many many thanks. And so we'll have to circle back. We'll do this again as we say at the end of each one of these. The show's not sponsored by anybody. It's a, it makes it easy for us to tell you guys the truth all the time. If you want to help support the show, 
head over to programs.btwb.com slash VNR, and you'll see a whole bunch of cool stuff that Boz and I cooked up to help you get your first pull-up, improve your clean, all kinds of stuff. So go ahead, check it out. Thanks, everybody, for your continued support. Post your thoughts and comments in on the BTWB YouTube channel under this particular episode. They help fuel ideas for future shows. And for Greg and Adrian, I'm Pat Sherwood, and we will see you next time.